Our scripture today is found in Matthew 7, verses 15 through 23. If you are able, please stand for the reading of the scripture. Let's hear God's word. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. May God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. Good morning. So in the, the first published uh, version of the fairy tale, Little Red Riding Hood, Charles Perrault, the story he tells is the wolf in the story. We all probably know this story. The wolf stalks the young girl uh, is, who's going to the grandmother's house. to She's sick. She's going to do something for her. So the wolf beats the girl to the house, swallows the grandmother, and then waits for the girl, eats the girl, falls asleep, the end. That's it. That's the story. Uh, you know, of course, what happens, as often does, is the story uh, gets sanitized. So later versions, the grandmother, she's actually safely hiding in the closet. She's fine at the end of the story. Uh, the girl's fine. A woodcutter comes and saves the day by coming and killing the wolf. But in the original published fairy tale, the lesson is clear. Fail to recognize a wolf and the consequences are severe. We're in the final stretch of Jesus' great sermon, the great sermon on the mount, and we find ourselves in what I think is probably, quite honestly, one of the most haunting places in all of Scripture. If we don't, if you didn't hear the weight and the severity of this text, uh, you're hearing a different version than Jesus' original sermon, a sanitized version. And there's, Jesus thinks there's too much at stake for us today to hear a sanitized version because he warns us about two types of deception, being deceived by others and deceiving ourselves. There's something in the, actually a number of European countries have this, but I've experienced in England, called the right to roam. So right to roam is gives hikers and others access to certain areas of land, particularly like high elevation mountains and moorland, even if it's private. It's great. It's so much better than the time I came up to a gate in West Virginia and the sign said, stay out or be carried out. There ain't nothing in this hall or worth dying for. Uh, that's kind of the American way. Um, but in England, it's different. You can put up that slide. In England, as you're hiking on this path, you can come up to a, a wooden, a stone fence, and there'll be a stile, a wooden stile that goes over the fence, right? So you're on private property, but you're allowed 
uh, to go through it. Um, and then uh, you can be on your way, but, but as I was doing a hike one year in England, um, I came across a sign, you can go on the next one, that said, beware of bull, right? <laughs> so I grew up in the city. I'll be honest, I, at that time, I don't know if I could have told the difference between a steer and a bull, right? I was a city kid. But I tell you what, when I walked through that section of property, man, I was alert. Man, I was looking out. I was moving faster because I had been warned a bull was in the pasture. Thank you. Watch out for false prophets, Jesus warns his disciples. In our text last week, if you remember, Jesus warns his disciples about the danger of getting on the wrong path. Today talks about danger, but it's a different type of danger. It's not a danger out there on that path. It's in here. It's in the flock. And he compares this danger to ferocious wolves. He calls these false prophets ferocious wolves. So what? let's start. What is a false prophet? Let's start with what a prophet is. Prophets in the Bible are those who speak on behalf of God. Right? So think about the great prophets of the Old Testament, Elijah and Elisha and Isaiah and Jeremiah. And as the old King James Version says, thus saith the Lord. Right? A prophet hears something from God and then communicates that to God's people. Uh, so that's a prophet. But just as there's prophets in the Bible, there are false prophets. There are people who claim to be speaking on behalf of God, but in fact or not. In the book of Deuteronomy, let's put up the slide, uh, G, uh, Moses warns about false prophets. You may say to yourselves, this is Moses speaking, how can we know when a message has not been spoken by the Lord? If what a prophet proclaims in the name of the Lord does not take place or come true, that is a message the Lord has not spoken. So fairly simple diagnostic tests. Prophet says something's going to happen, doesn't happen, Moses says you can assume that's a false prophet. We're going to hear about false prophets all throughout the Bible, right? All throughout the New Testament, right here we got Jesus warning, but we can hear about them uh, in various places all the way up to the book of Revelation. Here's another uh, passage from 2 Peter. But there were also false prophets among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. They will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the sovereign Lord who brought them, bringing swift destruction on themselves. So Moses, Jesus, the other biblical writers, they're not naive about the danger of false prophets. It's not if you will encounter false prophets, it's when you will encounter false prophets. Someone may be thinking, Matthew, I have good news. I don't listen to false prophets. I don't even listen to prophets. I don't even really know what a prophet is. Let me, uh, I think this is a great and searing translation from Eugene Peterson in the message uh, that might help us out here. Put up the next slide. Be wary of false preachers who smile a lot, dripping with practiced sincerity. Chances are they're out to rip you off some way or other. Don't be impressed with charisma, look for character. Who preachers are is the main thing, not what they say. 
A genuine leader will never exploit your emotions or your pocketbook. These diseased trees with their bad apples are going to be chopped down and burned. Watch out for false preachers. I, I don't fail to see the irony that I'm up here preaching and warning you about false preachers, right? This, many texts go right back to the preacher, probably, if not, none more than this one right here. But it's not just preachers, right? Do you listen to the news? Do you follow politics? Do you follow politicians? Do you listen to podcasts? Are you on social media? I guarantee you, on almost a daily basis, you will find someone who is claiming to speak from God on an array of topics. It might be a politician who's quoting you scripture, convinced that God has told them that they have a plan for the country, and they just happen to play a central role in that plan they heard from God. You might hear someone, uh, you know, tell you they received some medical advice from God, they downloaded that, and now they're sharing it to you. you it might just be something on Facebook where it's like, I, I just feel like God is telling me to say this. Like, there's, just pay attention that every day you will hear somebody, many more than just preachers, telling you that they heard something from God and they're communicating it to you, all right? But you can think, Matt, well, thankfully, I know how to separate out the false prophets from the real prophets. Jesus is not so sure. Jesus is doubtful that you and I will do a great job at separating out the false prophets from the true prophets, because he says this. He says, watch out for false prophets because they look like sheep on the outside, but inwardly they're ferocious wolves, right? So on the outside, they look, they sound sincere, they sound trustworthy, they're unbiased, they have my best interest in mind, and Jesus is just saying, don't be naive. Don't be naive. They're wolves dressed like sheep. See, the thing about wolves is they don't typically kind of tip themselves off as wolves, right? They don't flash their fangs. Wolves blend in. They look harmless. They look like us. So how do we do? How do we tell these wolves from sheep? Well, Jesus gives us a very helpful diagnostic tool. Look what he says. By their fruit, you will recognize them. Right? Jesus calls you and I to be fruit inspectors. Good trees produce good fruit. Bad trees produce bad fruit. By their fruit, you will recognize them. One of the things I miss about farming, I farmed for about eight years, was fruit, like literal fruit. So you could come up to me, you probably won't because y'all are quite friendly, but you could come up to me at the end of the sermon and be like, that sermon was terrible. I got nothing out of it. And there's not a lot I can do. Like, what do I point to to say, no, that sermon wasn't that bad. The fruit of my labor wasn't that bad. But when I was farming and, and when I was growing strawberries, I could stand out in early June uh, in my strawberry field and I could pick a perfectly ripe jewel variety strawberry that I'd grown and I could taste it and I knew the fruit of my labor was good. Right? I didn't need you to tell me that my fruit was good. I could taste it. The proof was in the pudding, so to speak. And someone, as I'm sure did, could come up to me and tell me, you know, I could get strawberries for half that price at Walmart. And I can say, have you tasted those strawberries? The fruit don't lie. 
that, that strawberry you're eating from California, it might look pretty on the outside. It might even look prettier than my strawberry on the outside. But you take one bite into that hard, white on the inside, tasteless monstrosity from California, and there is no hiding how bad that fruit is. I'm a little biased towards locally grown strawberries. Buy your strawberries from the Huffmans this June. The fruit don't lie, Jesus says. Because something, someone out there is going to look really good on the outside, but that does not mean they're not rotten on the inside. And Jesus is trying to give us, okay, how do you tell? You can't look inside a person's heart and soul. How do you tell? Look at the fruit they're producing. What does he mean by fruit? Good fruit, in Jesus' understanding, is doing the will of God, right? So right in verse 21, after he does this whole good fruit, bad fruit, kind of keeps going back and forth, he says this, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. So, okay, what is the will of God? That's what Jesus is saying is going to be a sign. That person is doing the will of God, and therefore that's a sign that they're producing good fruit, which is a sign of integrity on the inside. But, but what does that mean to do the will of God? Well, we've spent six months in, I don't know if it's probably the largest teaching block from Jesus in all of the Gospels, right? You've got laid out in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5 to 7, what is the will of God? And so what we can do is look at a teacher, a preacher, someone who's claiming to speak from God and say, are they following the will of God? Is there integrity in their life? That's not to say that you have to look for the perfect preacher, teacher, prophet. They don't exist. But are their actions consistent with their teaching? Like, this is an ethical test. Uh, you know, oftentimes as a church, we spend a lot of time worrying about threats on the outside, right? So the threat, the enemy is society, it's culture, it's the government, it's Hollywood. You fill in the blank. We've got all kinds of enemies outside the church. But just stop and think in your lifetime, where has the most damage to the church come? A lot of the damage is self-inflicted. All right, how many stories have you heard if not every two weeks, of a gifted, charismatic, prophetic teacher who has been living a double life for 30 years. Think of all the heartbreaking stories. Many of them just keep emerging. We had some the last few years of physical, emotional, sexual abuse to women and children in particular that's happened at the hands of church leaders. And to make it even worse, some of these women will step out and call out what is happening and will then be attacked for calling out what is happening. I mean, you talk about ferocious wolves. There's places, there's churches where you will be attacked and abused, and then you will be attacked for claiming that you were attacked. Jesus is not being hyperbolic about ferocious wolves. This is not an understatement. Okay, Jesus is completely heartbroken by what he sees happening in his church, but he's not shocked. He knew it. He knew it was going to happen. Jesus knows that there will always be people who claim to speak for God who look good on the outside, but on the inside are rotten. And so he warns us, be alert. Watch out. Beware the wolf. Let's think about how we can apply this first part. Lots we can say. One thing is I think this is why we're not meeting on, this is one reason we're not meeting on Zoom right now. We can be thankful for the technology we have. There's lots of great things about it. But there's no substitute for doing life together in a community because we need to know our teachers, preachers, and leaders. Right? We need to be able to watch how they live. It's not, 
that there's not a you know, place to learn from people afar, from sermons online, from podcasts. There's so many great resources today, more than ever, which can nourish your faith. But we don't know these people. We don't know what they're like. We don't live in community with them, which makes it harder for us to inspect their fruit. Like when I think about people in my own life who have impacted my faith, it's people that lived close to me and I could tell they were the real deal. They were not perfect by any means, flawed people like all of us, but there was an integrity to their lives. I'm sure right now you can think of people in your lives in this church who impacted you by the integrity of their lives. They weren't, they weren't just teaching they were striving imperfectly, humbly to live out those teachings. And it was visible. They were producing fruit. Right? This text, I think this first part is, is primarily uh, aimed towards prophets, teachers, leaders. But Jesus is talking to all of us here, right? Are we living our lives, in, are we living lives of integrity? Are, are we one kind of person right here on Sunday morning and when we go home to our kids or to our spouse, are we a different kind of person? Are, are we one type of person in this community and then out in our fields of work, in our jobs, uh, in our businesses, are we a different kind of person by the way we run our business or interact with our colleagues or those we supervise, right? It's hard to stress too much as Jesus closes up this sermon how concerned he is with doing, with actions. I, I, could, I could not emphasize long enough uh, how important this is to Jesus, Jesus says in our passage, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Right? So calling Jesus Lord, Lord is a good confession. Right? That's correct. Jesus is Lord, Lord. The problem is not the person's theology, it's their actions. Uh, Jesus makes this point uh, very clear in Luke's gospel when he says this, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? Right? So sometimes we come into this section of the Sermon on the Mount, if you're thinking about it, it's like, that makes me a little bit nervous, right? Because that seems to kind of contradict my understanding of grace, which is this profession that, that salvation is a gift from God alone and not something I earn. And that is true. But Scott McKnight says it this way. No one is saved by works, of course, but everyone is judged by works, because works are the inevitable life of the one who surrenders to, trusts in, and follows Jesus. Right, if you and I place our faith, our trust, our allegiance in Jesus Christ, if we surrender our lives, we're not just talking about a cognitive, I think Jesus died and raised from the dead. We're placing our trust in Jesus. We're giving him our allegiance. We're surrendering our lives to him. We are going to produce fruit. You, you cannot do that in genuine faith and not see transformation in your life. Your life is going to change. Okay? So it's not that we're saying that we're, we're saved by these works at all, but, but these works, we're going to be judged by our works. The, the, is, is, that may make us uncomfortable, but Scripture is very clear about that. And so Jesus is saying, you want to spot a false prophet, you want to spot someone who's deceiving you, Find someone who's teaching one thing and doing another, right? They're not producing good fruit. But there's another, so that's the first type of deception. That's people in the community, primarily teachers and preachers and leaders, who are, are actively deceiving the flock. But there's another type of deception that Jesus warns about. 
He says, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Right? So three activities. Prophesying, driving out demons, and performing miracles. Like, Jesus did all these things. Jesus speaks approvingly of all these things. Right? So they're actions. We should be in good now, right? These people, if anybody should be in good shape, it should be these people. Let's keep breathing. Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you away from me, you evildoers. Excuse me, Jesus? I, I thought we just said, like, the biggest thing is doing the will of God. They're prophesying. Uh, they're doing miracles. How are these people now outside the kingdom of God? Well, here Jesus is warning about another type of deception self-deception, right? Jesus isn't talking about people that, uh, that, are, um, he's, that are actively, knowingly deceiving people. He's talking about people who get to that day, which he's talking about the day of judgment, and they're shocked by Jesus, what he's saying, right? They thought the whole time they were doing the will of God, and yet they get to the, the last day, and they find that they themselves are outside the kingdom, so how do we spot that? How do we spot a prophet who's not intentionally deceiving us, but is self-deceived themselves and therefore is going to deceive us? Does that make sense? If the prophet is self-deceived, the prophet is going to deceive us, even if they don't mean to deceive us. Does that make sense? Okay. How do we spot that? Is there a diagnostic test for that? Well, back in Deuteronomy, we'll put up another slide, Moses talks about another prophet uh, who foretells things that happen, but they're still false prophets. Let's put up this slide. Uh, we can go to the next one. It's the last one. Good. If a prophet or one who foretells by dreams appears among you and announces to you a sign or wonder, and if the sign or wonder takes place and the prophet says, let us follow other gods, gods you have not known, and let us worship them, you must not listen to the words of that prophet or dreamers. Right? So we've talked about this ethical test. Is the fruit match the teaching? But there's another test. There's a theological test. It doesn't matter what great sign you're doing if, if by doing this you're just leading people away from God. And that's trickier, right? So someone is claiming to speak from God and is in some way backing it up with their action, and yet they're still leading people in the wrong direction. Notice in our text, it isn't even until that day, this day of judgment, that this all is even made clear. I don't think we're going to even know uh, the prophets who are self-deceived. I don't know that we'll always be able to tell it. But I think we can ask ourselves some questions to hopefully help us spot people who are prophets and self-deceived. And this is the biggest one that I can offer you. Is this person's teaching moving my heart and other people's hearts to obey Jesus' teaching? Or is the opposite happening? Okay? I hear someone teach. I hear someone preach. I read their book. I listen to their podcast. Are they moving people's hearts to obeying Jesus? Are they stirring up more hunger for Jesus? Are, 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 they, are, they, are they encouraging you to, to go into a deeper relationship with Jesus? Or is the opposite happening? Because this happens all the time. I hear it all the time. People claiming to speak for God, claiming to teach about Jesus, that are actually moving people away from Jesus. They themselves might be on their way out of Christianity, and unfortunately, they're taking people with them as they go out that door. 
They're stirring up doubts about Jesus. They're endorsing beliefs about Jesus which are clearly contradictory to the teachings of Jesus in the New Testament. And this is the challenge, guys. These people look like good people. Many of them are good people. They are ethical people. They are nice people. And they are tolerant people. Okay, this is really hard. We're not talking about someone who's a ferocious wolf. We're talking about someone who is very nice, very ethical, and yet they're self-deceived, right? This is really sobering. First of all, like, this is super sobering for a preacher. If you study this text as a preacher and you're not driven to your knees in prayer, like, you've missed something. I'll talk about that later. These people that are described as wolves are not setting out to deceive people, and yet they are deceiving people because they themselves are self-deceived. They have good intentions, they're doing good things, but they're self-deceived. So how do we tell? How do we tell what's happening? Right? We've got to look. What's happening to their followers? What's happening to people that listen to their teacher teachings? Are they, going, are they giving their allegiance more and more to Jesus, or are they actually finding themselves serving other gods, the gods of money and pleasure and war and nationalism? If, you, if followers are starting to give more allegiance to a country than Jesus, we have a problem. If followers of Jesus are giving their more allegiance to money than to Jesus, we have a problem. And we could go on and on and on, Right? Because that person is probably trying to use us and use Jesus' teachings for something else. And you should never do that. It's happening all the time. Another test. Are people that are following this person, are they exhibiting what Paul calls the fruit of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, or is the opposite happening? Are the, are the people that are following this supposed teacher of God becoming cynical, becoming violent? Are they being stirred up to hate the other, whoever the other is, an immigrant, someone who's gay, someone who's poor? I don't care who it is. If you find yourself stirring up more hate towards someone, you are not on the right path. and You are not listening to the right teacher. Are you becoming more paranoid? Are you becoming more angry? Are you becoming more impatient? If so, watch out. That is not the fruit of the Spirit. If you and I are, are consuming someone's teachings and we're finding ourselves the opposite of the fruit of the Spirit, if we're becoming angrier and angrier and more and more hateful and more and more cynical and less and less hopeful, something has gone wrong. Because that is not the fruit that we are to exhibit if we are truly in Christ and the Spirit is working in us. Watch out. That's bad fruit. A teacher, a true teacher who produces good fruit should nourish their followers, right? They shouldn't nourish them with bad fruit. They have to nourish them with good fruit. Here's another diagnostic question. Um, if you listen to that teacher, does it just happen to be that everything that teacher says you agree with? Every week, it's amazing. Every week that teacher stands up and talks, you, you agree. And I, I'm, I'm susceptible just like you. We love to be told what we already believe is right and what we're already doing is right. We all love it, myself included. The problem is, is you know, the New Testament calls that having your ears tickled, right? They'll warn later on about how people, they don't want to hear sound doctrine. They just want to have their ears tickled. 
And if you've been listening to Preacher Jesus the last six months, he's terrible at tickling yours. Right? He certainly has not tickled mine. I was just talking to a friend of mine who compilated a book on the Sermon on the Mount the other day, and I was like, man, the Sermon on the Mount messes with me. Every time. I did an exegesis class, and it rocked my world. I preached it through six months, and the Sermon on the Mount messes with me because Jesus messes with us. He messes with the status quo. If you think you've got it all figured out and that preacher is just telling you every week you do have it all figured out, watch out. Because that's not probably Jesus coming out. So what do we do about this? What do we do about guarding ourselves from uh, teachers who are not just actively deceptive but are self-deceived? One, we've got to know the scriptures, and particularly the Gospels and the New Testament. We've got to be able to test what we're hearing. On the book of Acts, we read about the the Bereans who listened to Paul and Silas teach, and they examine the scriptures every day to see if the things are so. Right? If the Bereans are, if Paul is teaching and they're examining the scriptures, how much more with me? <laughs> I'm not Paul. <laughs> I don't think I have to probably make a hard case for that. If you hear me, if you hear me stand up and proclaim a message. Uh, that, that last night I got a, a dream and I had a revelation which contradicts 2,000 years of church teaching and the scriptures. Beware, right? Go back, open your Bible, and test me in the scriptures to see if things are not so. I'm not immune to self-deception, right? You all have to know the scriptures. It's not just me. So that we as a community, and this is where our Anabaptists, we're going to have to do this as a community. Right? Not a bunch of lone rangers interpreting scripture, but as a community gathering around scripture and testing, is what we're hearing so? Okay. Secondly, we need to be running regular diagnostic tests on our own hearts. Our hearts are crooked and twisted. Right? Even when we do good things, like Jesus is talking about here, we often do them for the wrong reason. We are prone to self-deception, every last one of us. This is a so, like a sobering passage, especially for preachers. All right, so here's my prayer this week that I was really kind of driven to pray. God, don't wait until the last day of judgment to reveal how I'm deceiving myself. I don't, we don't even always know how we're deceiving ourselves. So my prayer is, and I would encourage you to pray, is God, show me how I'm deceiving myself now. That's painful. That's hard. It seems like in my experience, God will always take you up on that. <laughs> okay, uh, let's, let's do some work here. Because I feel like every time I pray that prayer, within not long, I, something's revealed to me. And it's painful. But man, I want that now and not at the last day. I want it now so that God can start to work on my heart and start to heal me now. That's so much better than me getting to the last day. And there's going to be things we don't know. We can't get all our self-deception. But I'd rather God start working on me now than wait. Finally, we need to recognize that we can do lots of good stuff and be far from Jesus. Right? Remember, these people on the last day, they're doing good things. And Jesus says to them, I never knew you. I never had a relationship with you. Christianity is not a set of ethics. It has ethics, but it's not a set of ethics. It's not just a set of universal moral principles like Kantian ethics or Aristotelian ethics. It's a relationship, right? If at the end of Jesus' great sermon, you and I uh, have this checklist, this is what we do and this is what we don't, we've completely missed the sermon. 
Yes, there's lots of things we do and don't do, but at the heart of this is a relationship with Jesus. He wants to know us. He wants to be in relationship with us. We can't miss that. This is not just a list of do's and don'ts. This is always about a relationship with Jesus. We can't miss that. Jesus has a really weird, strange way of ending his sermon. You don't, in seminary, you don't learn to, to end your sermon this way. This would be very bad form. But Jesus does it. He leaves us haunted. Not a good setup for Hex. It's a sober way to end a sermon. But part of the reason it's so sober is because Jesus was right. right? He knew the wolves would come, and they have. And Jesus mourns this reality. He tells us to watch out for this reality. Jesus will judge this reality, and he will make things right one day, no doubt. Right? It is true that the church of Jesus Christ has failed miserably at times to follow her Lord. But thankfully, the one on whom the church is built has not failed. Right? When Jesus died, there was no skeletons in his closet that came out because his life and his teachings were completely integrated. He always practiced what he preached. The fruit of Jesus' teaching was always good. Because Jesus was and is always good. Jesus can produce nothing but good fruits. Jesus is the true prophet. When you hear Jesus speak, you hear God speak. That's why God says in the Mount of Transfiguration, listen to him, listen to him. And Jesus always practiced what he preached right to the end. I don't know how the church has failed you. I don't know how teachers and preachers have misled you. I don't know how leadership has deceived you or hurt you. I'm sorry that they don't represent Jesus. Because Jesus is not a wolf, but a shepherd. He's a good shepherd. He loves his sheep. He loves his sheep so much that he will give his very life for his sheep. Put your trust in that prophet. Put your trust in that person. Listen to that person. He will never deceive you. He will never lead you astray.